This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. In these next few moments that we have together, I want to encourage you to plant your life in Jesus and in the church, the community of the redeemed. We believe that as you do that, you are going to flourish. Over the course of this series, we're going to look at how God has created you, redeemed you, and anointed you to flourish in Him and in the body of Christ. As I mentioned last week, if you want to follow along with us in the book, as we walk through this series together, you can go to our website, CourageousChurch.com flourish, where we've posted a link where you can purchase your own copy of the book. I'm telling you, this is a book that you will definitely want to read. If you have your Bibles with you, go with me today to the book of Psalms, chapter 92, verse 12 through 14. I'll be reading from the NKJV. And this is the text that we'll be working from throughout this series. Here's what it says. The righteous flourish like a palm tree. They shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bear fruit in old age. They shall be fresh and flourishing. Well, what does it mean to flourish? And how did God design us to do so? Taking our cues from the scriptures and like Pastor Lee pointed out during the first week of our series, God has designed us to flourish in the right environment that he created us for. We believe this. We believe that God has created us to flourish, to thrive, to grow, to win, to overcome, and to be a person that lives a purpose-filled and meaningful life. Because the truth is, we all want our life to matter, don't we? And that begins with understanding how God created and fashioned it to do so. And then last week, I spoke about the revelation that changes everything. And we looked at the life of Jacob and his discovery that God was not only with him, but for him, and that he actually wanted to bless him. Additionally, I spoke on the importance of setting the stone and pouring the oil and giving a tenth as a response to and a way of living in the presence of God and as the people of God, his church. We talked about how God has created us to be his dwelling place and how we can flourish when we commit our lives to one another and use our gifts and our wealth in service of others and his church. And I hope it was a real blessing to you. Today we're going to continue our time with a message I'm calling Redeemed to Flourish. I want to start with a story, perhaps one of the great stories that Jesus tells in Luke chapter 15 verses 11 through 24. It's called the parable of the lost son, or as it's more commonly known, the parable of the prodigal son. And in it, there are some things that I believe Jesus wants to communicate to us today. We'll pick up reading with verse 11, and it says this, And he said, There was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all that he had, and he took a journey into the far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise and go to my father and I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. 
Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against you in heaven, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they began to celebrate. This parable, in my opinion, best represents the story that Jesus is telling the world about us. It's a story about how one man squandered all that he had in, was in wasteful living, and instead of finding rejection and shame, he finds acceptance and forgiveness. Ultimately, it's a story that depicts the Father's beautiful acts of redemption and restoration, and it's one that I believe we all desperately need to hear. Some have called this story the best presentation of the gospel or the good news. That news is what Jesus came to tell us about what God has been up to in the world ever since Jesus first wrapped himself in flesh and walked among us. Namely, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, no longer counting people's sins against them. And it's beautiful news for all that hear and receive it. I wonder if you might clear. I wonder if you might incline your ear to hear what God may be saying to you right now in these brief moments that we share together. I wonder if you might find yourself in this story as one who may have given, uh, may have given everything away or made mistakes that you thought were unforgivable. I wonder if you've ever thought there's no way you could ever go back to the place that God created you for. Well, I want to encourage you today, your story is not over yet. And I believe that Jesus is alive and actively speaking through his word to you right where you're at today. And he wants you to know a few things about how he feels about you. Number one, he wants you to know that you are loved. 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 And there's nothing that you could ever do to change that or take away from that fact. God loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you and on your behalf. In just a few moments, we're going to unpack exactly how he did that and why. And number two, he wants you to know that you are accepted. Not only are you loved, but you're accepted. You belong. In other words, there's a place for you in his family among all of his sons and daughters. You are accepted in the beloved, in the church, and belong at his table. And as it turns out, there's a seat with your name on it. And not only a seat, but a robe and a ring and sandals that are fitted just for you. In just a few moments, we're going to unpack the significance of what those three elements mean and why it matters for us today. Before we do, can I pray for you? I really want to pray for you right now, right where you're at today. Father, I thank you that the Bible is not just a story about people then, but God, it's a story about people like us living right now. God, I pray that in the next few moments that we share together, that you would speak to every man, woman, and child that is listening to the sound of my voice right now. I pray that they would come to hear your amazing heart beating for them. And Lord, I pray that we would not only hear your heartbeat and listen to your voice, but that we would believe what we hear and be forever changed by it in Jesus' name. Back to our story today. One of the reasons I believe this parable is so powerful is because it profoundly depicts what Jesus knew about the Father's intentions toward us. This is why God sent his son to the earth, to redeem and restore that which was lost. And to do so, back to its original place and purpose. Simply put, Jesus came to redeem and to restore. Say it with me, redeem and restore. 
These two terms, redemption and restoration, are terms that I want to look at briefly before we dig into this parable itself. Regarding redemption, Jesus' death upon the cross would pay the price for the sins of the world, that's you and me, sins that we could never pay for. Instead of leaving us in the state of spiritual death and separation, the Father devised a plan in eternity along with his Son and the Holy Spirit to redeem humanity back to itself, back to himself. The word redeem means much more than just being rescued. It is a word that has actual and real legal implications. It means to purchase back or to reclaim. Many times, and especially during Jesus' time, this word was used in relation to indentured slaves or servants. For example, indentured slaves could purchase or buy back their freedom if they worked long enough. Or, and another example, if a landlord had his land up as collateral, he could redeem back that land. He could buy it back once he had the funds. To provide you another analogy, as a kid growing up in California in the 90s, there was a big push to get people to recycle. And there still is. And I remember the old slogan, well, recycle, reuse, and close the loop. Anybody remember that one? The idea was that what was once used could become useful again if it were only redeemed. Well, of course, in those early days of the recycling movement, not many people did this. So they came up with the idea of incentivizing it to encourage people to bring back their bottles and cans. They even started printing a redemption value on the soda can itself. Sometimes it would be for just a few cents. But as a kid, that was enough for me to get me excited to go round up all of our neighbors' soda cans to try and make a few bucks in redeeming them at the grocery store. Are you tracking with me? Okay. Now, in the case of the lost son... And in our own stories, there is no possibility of redemption on our own terms. We can't buy ourselves back or redeem anything. It takes the action of a divine, supernatural nature to initiate our redemption. It took God's intervention, his paying our debt, so we could find our true value and full worth with him. And this is the good news about the gracious actions of a good God, that Jesus willingly paid the wages of our sin and redeemed us back to the Father. Ephesians 1.7 talks about it like this. In him, in Christ Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 through 19 also says it like this. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. How amazing is it that God did this for us? And not only does he redeem us and that he buys us back paying the debts that we can never pay because of our own sin and depravity, but he also restores us. Now, to restore something is to take things a step further. To restore means to bring back or reinstate something to its original state. The parable of the lost son doesn't just teach redemption, but it also portrays God as a father who completely restores his son back to his original place in the family. This is also why the message of the cross is called good news and why it's so scandalous. I believe this, that God so wants to unveil a revelation of his heart toward all of us that are looking for love and looking for life. He wants to reveal the whole truth about the spiritual inheritance awaiting us as his kids who have freely received Christ Jesus. He is not content just to make us his servants. No, he calls us sons and daughters and welcomes us back into his house with all things that were lost being completely restored again. So what things are we talking about? Well, in the story of the lost son, 
The father not only runs to greet his far-off and wayward son, but he kisses him and he embraces him as his own. Here the son thought that he might have to settle as a hired servant when the father was actually wanting to restore him as a rightful son. And this is so key for us in understanding God's heart toward us, being redeemed to flourish. God is not interested in you settling for less than the identity that he has for you to walk in. And that is not as a hired servant or as a slave, but as his own child. A child that he loves and gave everything for. That's how much he loves you and that's how much he loves me. So what does he do to show us that love? Well, he calls for the robe, the ring, and the sandals. Each one of these items carries great significance in communicating to the son not only how much the father loves him, but also what the father has done to redeem and restore all that was lost. This is where we can see the parallel Jesus is drawing in reference to the things lost in the fall, back in the garden, things that affect you and I as human beings. The robe the father puts on his son is a picture of our righteousness before God. In Christ, we are no longer seen by God in the rags of our sin, but clothed in the righteousness of God that was purchased by Jesus on our behalf. We are clothed in spotless, beautiful garments that we could never earn and don't deserve. Isaiah 61.10 says this, I am overwhelmed with joy in the Lord my God, for he has dressed me with the clothing of salvation. I love that. And he has draped me in a robe of righteousness. I am like a bridegroom dressed for his wedding or a bride with her jewels. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, one of my favorite scriptures of all time, says this, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The rags of our own righteousness could never compare to the new nature that we now receive when we turn back to the Father and we fall upon his mercy and his forgiveness and his grace. He doesn't just clean us up, friends, or launder our old garments. No, it's better than that. He replaces them with a righteousness that is not ours. It's his. Philippians 3, verse 8 through 9 says it this way. Yet indeed, I also count all the things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. The Father clothes us in a righteousness so rich and so pure, we could never earn it or deserve it. It's this new robe of righteousness that God the Father sees every time he looks at you and looks at me. Friends, he no longer sees the old tattered reminders of our rebellion. He can only see the shining new nature that was gifted to us from grace. Now, somebody out there needs to hear this. God no longer sees you through the rags of your past. If you've placed your hope and your faith and trust in Jesus, then you now are his righteousness, and he sees you as clean and forgiven and righteous and spotless and redeemed and new. So don't let anyone tell you otherwise. This is the good news of God. This is the gospel. In just a few moments, I want to pray for you. If you're watching today and haven't yet received this incredible gift, I want to help you take hold of it. And so the Father clothes us in a new robe of righteousness, and he puts a new ring on his son's finger. Now, the signet ring in Near Eastern first century culture was more than a valuable piece of jewelry or decoration. It was used actually to bestow or delegate authority. With this ring, one is able to sign legal documents on behalf of someone else and access their wealth. It's like having full power of attorney. 
When the father gave the returning son his ring, he was giving back to his son everything that his son had wasted out in the world. The father was making a huge statement that they were actually back together again in, in partnership and in business and that everything he owned also now belonged to the son again. The father was communicating that he trusts his son. Now, this is so significant at multiple levels. When Adam fell in the garden, the authority that had been given to him by God the father was turned over to the devil, Satan. When Adam chose to believe the word of the deceiver over the word of the Lord, he in essence relinquished his God-given authority to take care of the earth and subdue it. In doing so, Adam became indentured into a life of slavery by his own choice or volition. And the transference of authority that took place is the reason that Satan has been able to operate in this world with such power and influence. That's why when the devil tempted Jesus out in the wilderness, he took Jesus to a high place and he offered him all the kingdoms of the world. Listen to what the devil says to Jesus here in Luke chapter 4, verse 6. All this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me and I give it to whomever I wish. How is he able to say that? Because, once again, as we see in the garden, Adam relinquished his God-given rights and authority when he openly rebelled against the Father and his kingdom hence allowing the devil to establish his own kingdoms and rule. But I want to give you some good news today. Jesus came to crush the head of Satan, come on, and rightfully reclaim all of man's God-given authority by way of his own life, death, and resurrection. And here's the kicker. He did it as a man, or as what the scriptures call the son of man, or the second Adam. That's why the Bible tells us that Jesus now has all authority in heaven and, hear me on this, on earth. And that's why we say Jesus is Lord. Not Caesar, not Nero, not Cyrus, not the Clintons, not Trump, but Jesus. Because Jesus has stripped the enemy of his authority and reinstated the dominion mandate to all of those like us. Those who were once enslaved to sin, but that now are redeemed and restored as sons and daughters through our faith in Christ's finished work on that cross. Hallelujah. Furthermore, listen to what Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 19 now says to us. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The truth is reflected in this parable. The Father was giving back to the Son his delegated authority to walk in. In the same way in this commission, uh, that we've received as his disciples, we are operating in the king's authority once again. And we couldn't do that if we were still slaves to sin or still under the enemy's authority or rule. What a powerful picture of what the Father bestows upon us at the moment of our conversion. If we could only see it through the eyes of the Spirit, we would realize the power and the authority that we carry in Christ Jesus because we've been sealed with the ring or the signet of the Holy Spirit. We've been given power and authority over the devil and demons and sickness. Yes, even disease. We are commissioned as his ambassadors to go out in our Father's good name to bring this created world back into alignment with God's perfect purposes. How awesome is that? And lastly, the Father calls for the sandals. Now, sandals were extremely necessary for all those living in the rough terrain of the Middle East. The very poor, they actually couldn't afford them. But most everyone would sacrifice much in order to protect their feet from the rocky and jagged paths that they traveled upon. 
The returning son had gone from dressing in the finest garments to living in a pig pen and begging for the leftovers of the pig slop. He was also barefoot, returning with bare and most likely bleeding feet. His journey home would have been painful and scarring, but his father, being a good, good father, would not allow this walk of shame to go on any longer. New sandals speak of a new beginning and a new way of walking. It's another picture of God's grace. Grace that covers and heals the scars of the past and grace that leads us forward on a new path of following Jesus. Because every one of the disciples who followed Jesus were summoned to leave the old behind and embrace the new with these two simple words, follow me. The journey that their decision would take them on was completely unknown to them at the time that they said yes to Jesus, but they found their life's greatest purpose on Jesus' path. Colossians 2.6 says this, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Friends, our ability to walk with God has been restored. We can now walk in the Spirit and in obedience to the Father. The feet that used to lead us into the snares of the devil's traps our feet that are now called beautiful because they're covered with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Once we've been restored to life in Christ, we will never, I repeat, never be able to walk the same again because we're wearing the Father's sandals on our feet and because we're following His beautiful Son, Jesus, into a life of flourishing. Maybe you're watching today and you don't know Jesus or have never made the decision to follow Him. I want to invite you to say yes to Jesus right now. The good news is this. Like the father in this story, he's already said yes to you. And he's running towards you. He's running to place his loving arms around you. And he's calling for the best robe and the ring and the sandals that are tailor-made just for you. Maybe you're watching and at one time you followed Jesus, but you've gotten a little lost or even disconnected along the way. Maybe you became tired or even weary. I want to pray that God our Father would strengthen you right now and that you would know that his grace is more than sufficient for you. For those of you that have never said yes to Jesus, I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me, which is going to ask Jesus not only to reveal himself to you personally, but also to fill you with his Holy Spirit and empower you to flourish. It's a simple prayer, and it goes like this. Jesus, Savior, save me. Save me from myself. Save me from the things that have me bound. I believe and confess that you are the Son of God. I believe that you died on that cross for me and that God raised you to life again. Jesus, I ask that you would give me a new life of freedom and hope in you. Come and fill me with your Holy Spirit and make all things new. And for those of you that are watching that have grown maybe a little tired or weary, I pray that Jesus would strengthen you with his power, that he would fill you with the breath of his Holy Spirit again, that you would sense and feel the pleasure of his grace and favor upon your life, that you would know in the depths of your heart that God is pleased with you, not because of your deeds or your rule keeping, but because you are his son, because you are his daughter whom he loves. And I pray that you hear that today in Jesus' name. If you just prayed either of those prayers with us, we want to know about your decision today. For those that said yes to Jesus for the very first time, we want to say welcome to the family, welcome to the Father's party that he's throwing in your honor. And we'd like to show you where you can get access to your robe and your ring and your sandals. Meaning, we'd like to help you get connected either here at Courageous Church or wherever you're watching from. You can go to CourageousChurch.com to fill out a digital connect card. 
This will help our team know how to best follow up with you and pray for you in the days ahead. We also want to help you as you begin your new faith journey in taking what we like to call next steps. One of the best things that you can do right now is to jump into one of our watch parties at our website, CourageousChurch.com. We've posted various links to watch parties that you can be a part of. And we really want to encourage you to do that. We think it's really important. As always, if Courageous Church is your home church, we want to implore you to be a generous giver. Your generosity, it allows us to reach others with the hope and the healing and the courage and the life of God. It allows us to advance the good news of Jesus for the people of Salt Lake City, the Mountain West, and beyond. And if you want to be a part of what God's doing with this church to make a real difference, you can use the links that we've posted right there in the comment section, or just head on over to CourageousChurch.com giving to give online. Finally, we've posted some different links to various upcoming public gatherings that we'll be doing all throughout the summer. If you're local here in the SLC area, we'd love to see you and connect with you. Our next Worship in the Park event is coming up this weekend, or today if you're watching this on Sunday, June 28th at 4 p.m. at Flat Iron Mesa Park in Sandy. We want to invite you to join us and to bring a friend. We're going to have some tasty desserts for the whole family, and it's going to be awesome. On behalf of Pastor Candice and our team, we want you to know that we love you. We are praying for you. You are God's masterpiece. You are his best. So remember, be strong and courageous. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.